Welcome everyone to the Asian Voices Radio Podcast, where you'll find real Asian American conversations and those topics that you're too afraid to ask your Asian parents. I'm your host, Rasha Gowell, and I am so thrilled to be talking to my guest today, someone who I've known for a couple of years and who is just a fascinating human being and phenomenal. He's an Academy Award-nominated South Asian filmmaker whose works include St. Louis Superman, The Brid, Habibi, Koya, and The Last Out, which received a special jury, the Albert Maisel's new Documentary Director Award at the 2020 Tribeca Film Festival. He's got his hands in film and television, a lot going on. Sammy Khan, welcome to our show today. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for having me, Rasha. It's great to see you again. Same here. And it's such a pleasure to have you on Asian Voices Radio. Now, I know you're busy. You've got a lot going on with film and television, but I'm sure that your Oscar nomination for St. Louis Superman in 2020 kicked off a lot for you. So could you tell us what it's been like for you since that nomination? Yeah, I mean, it's been a little bit surreal because it COVID happened right after <laughs> we got like the Oscars in right under the wire, February 9th or something like that, 2020. And everything started, you know, kind of blowing up. And then we shifted to this Zoom life. Um, and uh, so it still feels kind of like a dream. And I, I am incredibly busy, um, but uh, I try and take a step back and just, you know, appreciate where I am. And, you know, even when I catch myself complaining about, you know, being overworked, I just like think back like five years, like, would I, would I be happy with where I am right now? And of course the answer is yes. So getting nominated for an Academy Award, um, you know, especially if you are a filmmaker who's outside the mainstream, whether you're South Asian or, you know, from a marginalized community, it does matter. You know, people say it doesn't matter, but it does, you know, it's materially tangibly, it changes how people perceive you. Um, and you know, it helped me level up tremendously. And I don't, I don't go out pursuing awards. I'm driven by the work and by my relationships with other creatives, but it does help sort of get things done. Well, it's, I can imagine it's such a huge recognition, you know, and like you said, it kind of helps open those doors that perhaps weren't opening before. I'd love to talk to you more about this documentary film, uh, which is about activism, a rapper, a former politician, Bruce Franks Jr. Now, you co-directed this film with Smriti Mundra. So did you two know each other before or how did this all come together for you? Oh, yeah. Smriti is one of my best friends. You know, she, uh, we went to Columbia together. We didn't know each other before going to Columbia Film School. But on uh, the first day, I think it was, yeah, it was the first day that I went to Columbia. I met uh, Christian, who would eventually become Smriti's boyfriend and now husband. And so Christian is one of my best friends. And Christian and Smriti didn't end up meeting until the last year of film school. And they really hit it off. And then we were all in New York and they eventually moved to, to Los Angeles. And, you know, sort of absence makes the heart grow fonder. And we became even better friends when they moved to L.A. I would, you know, still I always stay with them. They give me a really hard time if I come to L.A. and I don't see them. <laughs> a really hard time, actually. Um, but uh, but yeah, and so we kind of 
she was shooting her feature doc in India around the same time I was shooting a feature film in India, and we would compare notes, crews, etc. Um, and then we were looking for the right project to work together on. And you know, Poe, the producer, approached us, and it was you know, like you know, happens. It was lightning in a bottle. It was like the collision of so many you know fortuitous things, and of course, where Bruce Franks Jr. The, the doc subject where he was in his life was really central, but also Smriti and I's friendship. And, uh, you know, one of the things with COVID is unfortunately Smriti and I, we tried, but we haven't been able to get a green light for one of the projects we've been working on. Um, so, you know, that's been, uh, that's like the next thing is like to, to find the follow-up for, you know, all of us, also Bruce Franks and, and Poe, the producer, um, but it was this family that came together to tell the story. And all of us were in like these unique, you know, times in our life that made us um, really the perfect storytellers to be there to capture Bruce's story. I love that you had a friendship with this. And I did see the film. Where can people watch St. Louis Superman? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're in the United States, it's on Paramount Plus. It's on like Pluto TV. It's also if you don't have those you can you can rent it i believe on apple tv plus and uh you know those platforms if you're internationally it's on uh it's on youtube um so if you're outside the u.s you can watch it on youtube but in the u.s it's paramount plus is like the most accessible way to watch it great i highly encourage everyone listening to this to watch the film it really is very powerful you know before i move on to other topics too sammy i have to ask you because it's kind of rare to see co-directors we normally see one director on a film and so for this what was your experience like was it challenging having two people kind of two captains that were steering the ship yeah i mean it's it's challenging in any creative endeavor it's challenging when you know there's two people but if you're if you're friends with somebody, you have a, you know, an affinity with them creatively and thematically, then, you know, that can help overcome stuff. But, uh, you know, I think Smriti and I have, uh, great complementary skills. I'm somebody who likes to film and kind of do everything myself. I shot 80, 85% of the film did most of the sound work edited although i'm not credited as an editor edited a lot of the film as well and smriti has this like drive and ambition she found bruce's story she has this um um very persuasive manner so she when bruce was kind of reluctant to open the door to us she was very persuasive in convincing him and his uh aide at the time to allow us in and then again like where we were at in our lives you know, Smriti was very interested in sort of mental health uh, and trying to, you know, unpack what that would mean for somebody like Bruce. And my wife actually works in mental health. She's a she's a clinical social worker and a, a therapist. So that's also the world, you know, that I'm steeped in. And yeah. one of my wife's best friends was like in St. Louis, living in St. Louis and knew Bruce. So it was this like, like I said, lightning in a bottle where all That's the universe conspiring for you right there. <laughs> Seriously, it was, I mean, it really, it really was. And, uh, yeah, I, I wish it was, I wish that would happen on every project. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we all do. 
I want to go back a little bit to uh, your growing up. So you're originally from Ontario, Canada. And what was life growing up as a South Asian in Canada and who inspired you or, or motivated you to pursue a career in the film industry? Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up in the second most racist town in Ontario, Canada, apparently wow. you measured it in terms of, uh, you know, he uh, crimes, et cetera. And so it's this blue collar town, which is on the shore of Lake Huron and right on the border with Michigan. And like, it's, it's, it's basically embedded with the Michigan town, especially growing up, like before nine 11, like the, the border was super porous. Like you could just go over there and just show your birth certificate. You didn't even need a driver's license, let alone a passport. Um, so I grew up in this kind of, you know, not so diverse place. It's kind of rough and tumble. Um, but then I was connected to this broader world, obviously Michigan, Toronto, India, um, and always dreamed of getting out, <laughs> you know, well, like, what was my ticket to get out of there? And, you know, my parents being immigrants and my father being a huge movie buff who would, you know, put on Hitchcock movies, Jaws, et cetera, when we were way too young to be watching those movies, still it gave me an appreciation of, of cinema. And as he was trying to, you know, learn the social cues of this adopted country, uh, I was also appreciating that, but the, the, the craft of filmmaking and, you know, he bought a, it's like the cliche, like he bought a camcorder. I basically stole it and started using it. I started working at the local cable access channel in town and, uh, hooking up VCRs. And, you know, I was interested in, in, in telling stories. If I was born 20, 30 years later, I probably would want to be a writer. Um, but it was, there was something about film and video that, you know, my skills had, uh, a connection to. And, uh, of course I did grow up in this, you know, second most racist town in, in Ontario, Canada. I had no idea of how to actually make a career in the business, you know? So that's, I was like a little bit of a late bloomer, but, uh, it's just because I didn't have any interface with the industry. I didn't have any connections and it was through, developing, you know, my relationships with collaborators that eventually, you know, a decade after film school or so, things started to really take off. So it's fair to say then for someone who's listening to our conversation right now, if they're also in a place where they don't necessarily have a mentor or direction, that it's important to collaborate, right? Network with people, meet people, um, understand what they're doing. What would you say on that aspect? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I... I uh, I'm a big supporter of the adage, like find your people, you know, you have to find, find your tribe. Yeah. Find your tribe, find the people who, you know, will yes, make you better creatively. Um, and you can, you know, steal their creative brilliance, but also support you because the, um, the, the business is so difficult. I mean, you know, this, you put yourself out there almost every minute of every day, almost every you know, waking hour, you, you put yourself out there. There's so much rejection and there's, it's not, I think this is when I was younger, I was naive. Um, and even five, 10 years ago, I thought, Oh, it's like you being successful means like not being rejected. That's not true. It's like being successful means you're getting rejected more, but you have like your, your level up. So it's like 
the 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 wins, the successes uh, resonate and give you career stability. But you know that takes a toll on your mental health. So you know how do you how do you manage that um, crazy business? And I think having your tribe, having your people around you to to keep you sane, to support you when it's like a string of rejections. It's like, oh my God, what's the next paycheck going to be? But then also to keep you honest when, you know, you, you think you're the, you know, the, you know, the hottest thing and, you know, you're really not. There's always somebody out there yeah. or dozens, if not hundreds of people who, uh, you know, who are hotter than you are or more talented or have more going for for them. Um, so it's like that yin and yang that you have to balance that you really need strong relationships, both creatively and just emotionally. I'm so glad you share that, Sammy, because I think that's so important. And it's something we don't talk about a lot. I mean, I'm in the same, you know, shoes as you are. And I deal with that on an everyday basis as well. And I think both you and I are active on social media. So people do see the glory and the glam part of it, but it's really then coming back and being grounded. So thank you for, for sharing that. I'm also fascinated about the different works that you're involved in. Now, I know a lot of it is non-fictional, um, but you do work on some fictional stories. Talk to me about what interests you the most. Like what, what touches your heart and inspires you to tell the stories that you do? Yeah, I mean, I uh, one, it is those relationships are connecting back to that previous answer. I, I am interested in working with good people who are doing good stuff. Um, and, uh, that's like first, first step. And, you know, I, I, I do tend to avoid people that I don't, that I know I won't connect with. Um, and then, you know, it is like, what is the material? What is the project itself? And, you know, can I connect to the themes and, uh, you know, and, and, and that varies, um, on a superficial level, you know, working on a, a very low budget digital food travel series for public broadcasting with a good friend that, you know, we'll tell you about later in a couple of months when it comes out. Um, and then, you know, big scripted series um, with huge production companies and studios, etc. And I think what one of the consistent lines is, you know, Coming from my background, growing up where I grew up, I am obsessed with this idea of home and like what that means. Um, what is our relationship to home? Whether you know you're an African American battle rapper in St. Louis, or you're an exiled Cuban baseball player, or you're a South Asian man looking for your family, um, I am very, very interested in obsessed with this idea of home and, and what it means. So it's, if I come on to a project and that's like not um, staring you at the fa- in the face, then invariably I'm like drawing that out. It's like, okay, where is this set? There's a project that I'm developing right now, which we're, you know, been honing the pitch the last few months. Um, and it was, it was just a, it was a British book it was like South Asian woman uh, protagonist. And it was like, couldn't set it in the UK. It has to be set in the US because, you know, we want to sell it to one of the, the, the big players. 
in the U.S. was like, okay, where is it set? Um, and so very specifically set it in Michigan, in a town in Michigan. And it's about like the relationship of the protagonist and this town and how this town kind of flies apart. Um, because I, I, I need that. I, you don't, you know, there are tons of shows where you don't need that. It's like, where is this set? This is like some diffuse place. I don't know exactly where, but for me personally, it needs to be very specific. I need to know exactly what the character's relationship is to home, the protagonist's relationship to home. Otherwise I, 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 uh, I kind of stall out creatively. It's like, I don't know what it's about. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but when I can figure that out, you know, whether it's a scripted project or a nonfiction project, I, uh, you know, I can, I can run with that. I love how clear you are about that and the clarity of work. Um, something else. And, and talk to me about this. Have you faced any challenges as a person of color in your line of work, whether it's in the U.S. Um, comparatively to Canada, yeah, I mean, I uh, I actually have found it harder in Canada, and that's most of my work is in the U.S. Um, because I mean, I don't know something about that. Maybe it's because where I'm from that I, you know, I, I grew up with a kind of American personality. My my sister lives in the U.S. and works in the U.S. One of my sisters, the other one works in Canada. But, uh, I, I personally, as someone who is Canadian and, you know, sort of binational or U S and Canadian, but I think that, uh, there has been like a conversation on race that a lot of people are having recently. It wasn't just after 2020 and the murder of George Floyd. It was before that Oscar. So white, but Canada, Canadians think of themselves as being somewhat, superior than Americans and are, I think, still in denial about the degree of racism and injustice in their own country, Um, whether it's, you know, the the residential school system sort of came out and became international news about the abduction and deaths of indigenous children in Canada. But the same kind of policing issues happen here. Um, And then when you're talking about a career in media, the big difference is that there isn't the media spotlight in Canada to, to, to really, if somebody does something messed up, it's like, who's going to write about it in Canada? But in, in the U.S., there is the possibility, not saying that it happens often, but there is the possibility that it's like, oh, okay, the Hollywood reporter is going to write something about this toxic producer or the New York times is going to write this piece. And that degree of accountability is kind of lacking in Canada. So in all honesty, some of the most troubling stuff that I've encountered as like a creator of color has been in Canada. And I think part of it is that, um, that lack of accountability. And, and, and one of like the, the biggest scandals, even in Hollywood in terms of race, which was the, I'm blanking on the show, which is probably better because I don't want to mention it. But it was actually like a Canadian showrunner, like a white male Canadian showrunner who was, you know, kind of doing some messed up stuff on a on a network procedural because he had come up in this really sequestered, sheltered industry where there isn't a lot of accountability. But the good thing about the U.S., which is a bad thing sometimes, is like you're, you know, 
you got to hustle. Otherwise you got to be on your toes. Otherwise someone's going to come take your job and that, you know, for stuff, for stuff like that, it's like, you know, people feel that some people are still acting in a messed up way. Um, but there is the, just the media focus in Hollywood in the U S which also helps, you know, some of the, some of these toxic people just kind of wash out or, or get called out. Absolutely. Well, the accountability, like you said, I think it's changed in the past three to five years, you know, and, and people are more vigilant. Well, and then speaking of Hollywood and, and being here in America, how do you feel, um, do you feel that Asian Americans, especially South Asian, are better represented in Hollywood today comparatively to five to 10 years ago, both in front of the camera and behind? And what do you feel that we can do to improve the situation? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Five years, definitely. Ten years by leaps and bounds, um, let alone 20, 30 years. Um, one thing that I feel like people, you know, can have an appreciation for is like the the battles that were fought before we even got to the the table. Um, you know, because Asian American filmmakers in the 1970s and 80s and, and earlier were fighting for a seat at the table, were fighting for their communities. And those filmmakers fought a really lonely battle for, for two decades, right? And those are filmmakers who are now in their, you know, 60s and 70s, some in their late 50s. Um, so I, 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 in this, uh, you know, this desire to really, celebrate like the now and like, Oh, look at this new voice. Oh, great. And that's cool and all, but yeah, there were, there were people who for 30, 40 years have been fighting to amplify the voices of their communities, uh, you know, in the Asian American community and they haven't received recognition. So I think making those links between generations is really important. And, and, you know, because history is, is cyclical too, you can kind of sense this. I, I don't know if you sense this now, Rasha, but there's like a attempt by some to kind of push back on the gains of the last few years. You know, it's like yes. some of the streamers, you know, it's like, oh, we need to recalibrate to, you know, middle America. Of course, the middle America is a stereotype too of what, you know, there are Asian Americans who live in <laughs> uh, middle America. Um, but I think one of the ways you can sort of maintain the foothold and keep growing is by remembering, you know, the generations that came before us and, you know, what they went through, what they had to deal with and how they, you know, you know, subverted the system, went around the system, smarted the system and sometimes lost. Yeah. I think that's so important. And I'm glad you bring that point up because they did have a harder fight and struggle than we do right now. And it's important to recognize that we are here because some of those doors that were opened by their fight and by what they created. Um, I still find that there is a balance that needs to be made. I, I feel sometimes we're still checking off boxes and it would be great to move beyond the checking off boxes and really recognizing what it means to have representation and how important all of these stories are. And, you know, I have to share with our, our listeners here, too, um, I, I follow a lot of the stuff that Sammy tweets out. He's very active on social media, especially Twitter. And I love, Sammy, that 
you do speak your mind. You you do share what's happening in community and society. But I also see the encouraging words that you share for other filmmakers and how it, it's not an easy industry for filmmakers. So I, I'd love to hear from you on how you maintain how are you so tenacious? What keeps you in the game? You know, because yes, you have this Oscar nomination, but it's still the next hustle to get the next thing. Just like you said earlier, right? You got to still keep selling the project. So what are your words of wisdom or encouragement? I'd say. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Rasha. That's very kind of you. Um, you know, you do so much to amplify the voices of Asian Americans and South Asian Americans in particular. So, you know, you, uh, you also have received well-earned accolades for your, you know, your broadcasting. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess one thing is just in sort of sustaining yourself um, and on top of sort of finding your people, finding your tribe, but you have to be like obsessed with it. Right. I was like saying that earlier. It's like, I'm obsessed with this idea of home. You have to have that like, existential drive and you know some people are just obsessed with their careers and I kind of admire them for that the way they just like think about their careers and level up like that I'm, I'm not that kind of filmmaker you know I'm kind of somebody who really uh obsesses about the I mean I think about my career and I, don't get me wrong I can be like vain and whatever and like anxious about my career I think about that stuff a lot um but like the balance of, you know, thinking about the themes and whatnot and the content of it, um, definitely more than not outweigh that when, you know, probably I should be thinking about my career and it's like, Oh, how am I actually getting, how much am I getting paid on this project versus this other project? You right. know, I should probably be doing that. Um, so that's one thing is just being like totally driven and committed to your, uh, to your, uh, um, to the material um, and, uh, yeah. And then the other thing is like, I, and this kind of connects to both. I, I like pr proving people wrong, you know, cause I, I'm somebody who's like always been counted out partly, you know, for the way I look, my background, where I come from, et cetera. Um, but I, I, I love proving people wrong. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Love that. That's what we're here that. to do. <laughs> yeah. I really love that. I, I, I love it. It's like, you know, the same way, it's like LeBron James, arguably the greatest basketball or basketball player of all time. Even he has to deal with so much just like negativity and toxic energy. Even he's getting criticized. So you'd think you get to a certain point where you're, you know, in your late thirties, arguably the greatest basketball player of all time. And people would just like chill out. It's like leave the guy alone, you know. Right. Like he still has to deal. So if LeBron James is has to deal with people counting him out, then, you know, so I do we, we got to be yeah. prepared for that. I have just a few minutes here and I've got two questions that I really want to ask you. So real quickly, if you had to pick one film that you produced or directed that you're particularly fond of or holds a special place in your heart, which one would it be? Um, yeah, I mean, I would go, I would go back. I would say my first feature Koya, um, which we filmed, in India, in my father's hometown, um, and it stars Rupak Jin, who, you know, we were friends, acquaintances before, 
Um, but then we became close friends and he's one of my best friends. And it also, uh, it goes back because we released the film before this, the wave of sort of diversity, the last four or five years. Um, and I, I do wonder sometimes it's like, Oh, how would it be different if the film was released today? Um, but we just, all of us, you know, Rupak, me, the cinematographer, the crew, the producers had to put so much into that film just to get it in the can, let alone out there. Um, that, uh, you know, I, uh, I, uh, I think a lot of that one, that movie is like really close. It's to memorable. Yeah. And I know you're also filming a documentary right now on a famous tennis player. Yes. Yes. Uh, making a, a feature doc about the great Vijay Amritaj, the greatest Indian tennis player. I know some people might debate that, but to me it's, he's hands down. No other tennis player in Indian tennis history uh, rivals him in the open era and he's an incredible human being. And, uh, you know, the, my producing partners on the product are great. And, uh, I mean, what a story growing up as a sickly child and in Chennai, people saying he wouldn't survive childhood. And then his, his mom basically becoming obsessed with turning him into a, India's greatest tennis player and telling him at age eight, you're going to be the greatest Indian tennis player ever. And so the sick boy goes out and becomes within a decade, the best tennis player in India, surpassing even his older brother, and then goes to Wimbledon, you know, to play Connors, Board, McEnroe, all of these greats. Um, and then also stands up to apartheid, fights for justice and builds this legacy of philanthropy, which is unrivaled in the world of tennis. He's pretty incredible. And I don't think a lot of people know his story. So I'm so glad you're sharing that. Any other projects you want to quickly mention before I wrap us up here? I should mention that the last out, uh, the feature doc I directed with Mike Gassard is going to be on POV on PBS on October 3rd, and it'll be streaming on Passport, PBS's streaming platform through October, and then will be available to everybody in November. So I'll, I'll plug that there at the end. Great. Well, we're looking out for that. You know, Sammy is someone that I could just speak to for two hours because there's still so much I wanted to share. He's also a dad, by the way, guys. So I don't know how he balances all of this, uh, but we are out of time. Sammy Khan, thank you so much for joining us today. Before we go, a website or any of your social media handles that you can share for our listeners so they can follow you and learn more about your story. Yeah, I'm at Sammy Khan Film on Instagram and Twitter, so you can follow me there. Thanks so much, Rasha. It's our pleasure to have you us on Asian Voices Radio. And again, just a very inspiring story from where Sammy started and his inspiration to where he is now and all the magic he's creating in this industry. Now, if you have any questions or suggestions for our future guests or topics, we'd love to hear from you. You can be sure to subscribe to your favorite podcast platform and find us there, as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please don't forget, Asian Voices Radio is produced by Asian Culture and Media Alliance, a nonprofit that empowers our API community with the voice through media arts. 
If you'd like to support us or our program and make a donation, please visit us at AsianVoicesRadio.com. Once again, thank you so much for listening. We are here to provide you with these beautiful stories and inspire you to follow your dreams. I'm Rasha Goel. Please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices Radio Show. Until then, take care, everyone, and stay safe. 